0: Take your Bibles out with me. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a Bible right in front of you in the pew rack. Take your Bibles with me. Turn to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians chapter 3 beginning with verse 10. Within the Word of God this morning, when you're able to, stand to your feet in reverence to the Holy Word of God, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. In respect and honored to the sacred Word of God. We don't always do this, but stand, if you would, to your feet with your Bibles. We'll have it on the screen as well, but there's something about opening up the Bible, holding God's Word, learning how to find powerful passages within God's Word, and that. Passage, a powerful passage, is located right in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Read it with me. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that. I have already obtained all this. I'm not yet perfect, Paul is saying. Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's many things that could be said about this powerful passage within scripture but two things stand out to me. They're paradoxical. They could almost be said to be an oxymoron. But two powerful truths stand out to me from this passage in Philippians. That there are things, there are things to let go of in life and there are things to hold on to. This morning we preach a message, a communion message. Let go and hold on. Take your hand, I invite you, don't command you, but I invite you to take your hand and lay it over your heart. Father, We pray right now in the name of Jesus as we place our hand over our heart that, Lord, as this heart represents our inner being, the true essence of who we are, that inner man, that inner woman, Lord, do a new thing, do a new work, refresh, renew, restore that which you're already doing within us. Lord, I pray, make the communion supper, make the Lord's supper. Brand new to us this morning. Make it efficacious. Lord, I pray that we're not doing it out of duty. That we're not just going through the motions. But God, do a new thing within our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen and amen. God bless you as you're seated this morning. Let go and hold on. If you have a sermon study guide, follow along with me and and fill in the blanks. As I said, there are some things to let go of in this life, this Christian walk that we are involved in. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. What did Paul choose to put behind himself? What did Paul choose to forget? What did Paul choose to let go of? I believe one of the things that he chose to let go of was the mistakes of his life. If you study the life of Paul, you'll recognize that he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the conservative, religionists. They had the idea, the mentality that if you... Strived to be perfect all the time and keep all the laws of Moses, that you could earn your way into heaven. That if you gained and earned enough brownie points, you would be able to please God and make it to heaven. And Paul recognized when he found Christ, when he discovered that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that Jesus had paid it all, that he was forgiven. That grace is unmerited, undeserved favor. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't pay enough for it. That Jesus did it all. Paul recognized that all those years of trying to earn his salvation were wasted years. Wasted years. He could have become bogged down with that. He could have looked at it as a major failing, a mistake of his life, but he chose to not let his past paralyze himself. So write it down if you would. Let go of reliving past mistakes, reliving past failures. There's different kinds of mistakes, aren't there? I want to give you real quickly here some categories of mistakes. I've learned that there's blind spot mistakes, blind spot mistakes. Uh, These are mistakes I believe we we, we commit the most. They're done out of ignorance. Many times they're done in the midst of uh, stress. Uh, I I was in the middle of uh, the building program for phase two. And there was no fast food restaurant that was fast enough for your pastor. There was no drive-through lane that was convenient enough for your pastor. And I was stressed out. I was in a hurry. I was down here at Burger King. I was giving my full order. I want two Junior Whoppers, one fry, lots of ketchup, and a Diet Coke. And they weren't answering me. And I said it again. I'm getting upset. And finally, I was going to give that manager a piece of my mind, at least get a free pie in the deal. And I looked at what I was talking into, and it was a garbage can. (laughs) Mistakes. Then there's good intention mistakes. You know me. I try to meet and greet as many people as I can. I don't run to my office after I'm done preaching. I love you, and I, I love our guests that come to us. And I had the best of intentions, and a couple came through. I was a young minister at this time. Pastor Ben, uh, Pastor Ryan, uh, learn, learn from uh, pastor's mistakes. Uh, I I was trying to, you know, really be nice, hospitable, meet and greet this new couple uh, that were coming through the line, and, you know, it was, you know, perceived, well-perceived by me that she was in a motherly way. And and I looked at uh, uh, both of them and I greeted him warmly and I I said, so we've got one in the oven. I'm not pregnant. I will wait until you're nine months pregnant. I will wait until you look me in the eye and say, pastor, pray for us. There's one on the way before I say anything about you being pregnant. Good intentioned mistakes. We have the right intentions, the best of intentions. Wrong methodology. Then there's negligent mistakes. Negligent mistakes. Uh, I, was young, I was a young married husband, about to be a daddy, or yeah, i just become a daddy. I'll get it right. Just become a daddy, and Julie... Our youth pastor's wife, she was crawling around on all fours, and she was becoming more and more and more mobile. We had our starter home in Redford Township on the west side, and we had a basement, and and, uh, Becky kept reminding me, Phil, Phil. Uh, Julie's becoming more mobile. Julie's uh, beginning to walk. She, she's moving around the house more. When are you going to put up that stair gate to protect her from falling down the basement stairs? I said, I'll get to it. Uh, I'm just too busy. Uh, uh, I'll get to it. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it later. And, and this went on for a couple of nights, and we were in the middle of a supper one night, and last I remember, Julie was crawling around by our feet, you know, uh, uh, and, and I was feeding her from off the t- No, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, she was crawling around uh, on the kitchen floor, and, and while we were eating, all of a sudden I heard, plop, 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 plop. If you would have seen the look Mommy gave me, the shock, the anger, that look was not saying, "I love you with the love of the Lord." If looks could kill, how could you do to this to our child? Believe me, before the night was done, that stairgate was up. Uh, negligent mistakes, stress prompted mistakes. Have you made any stress prompted mistakes? These are mistakes made out of hurry or worry. We had just uh, landed in Orlando, Florida. They shut down I-4, the interstate, put us on, uh, on on 92, going through these little towns and villages. We were in a bumper to bumper chain. Of, a, of cars for an hour and a half. We'd been going at five miles an hour. That does not do well with my personality. I mean, <laughs> that's the ninth level of hell for me. <laughs> and then suddenly, in Winterhaven, and I had to be at a luncheon appointment with my father and my uncle, and they we're late, and... Uh, there had, if you remember, bad fires, and uh, they had shut down I-4, and in this bumper-to-bumper, and suddenly we came to a light, and it just all opened up, a complete highway. I mean, it looked just like M-53 uh, right over here, the high, the expressway, M-53, and you know the the speed limit on on M-53 out here is what, 70. So, Pastor, put the pedal to the metal, and. Looks just like M50. Man, I took off. I was, and, and my last closing words were, praise God. Right after I said, praise God. And that, I mean, that river opened up, and I put the pedal to the metal. I saw the gumball machine right behind me, and the motorcycle cup. I mean, he, he, he wasn't done writing my ticket, and I mean this sincerely. And he had another person pulled over. He was just sitting there where, God bless any policemen that are here this morning. And uh, he was pulling them over left and, and right, and uh, your pastor got a 25 over. $250. Oh, oh. And I relived that mistake and relived it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it. And I hadn't gotten a ticket in 25 years. I then there's panic-prompted mistakes. Have you ever committed a, a, a panic-prompted mistake? Where, where you, a panic-prompted mistake is when you, you, you uh, grab the first debt consolidation loan that's out there. It's the 24-year-old girl that says, I'm going to be an old maid and marries the first thing that comes along. Or it's the 76-year-old guy that just lost his wife a couple of months ago and marries the first thing that comes along and makes the mistake of his life. Panic-prompted mistakes. And then there are pride-prompted mistakes. Know anything about those? It was just before a Wednesday night service. And uh, years ago, I I ran over to Bally's, it's now LA Fitness, right here at the corner. And I thought I'd I'd work out, get the juices flowing for my Wednesday night teaching and preaching. And I I did the whole circuit of weights. I ran three miles. And then I, I thought I'd get into the pool and swim a mile, 72 laps. In the middle of swimming 72 laps, back and forth in the pool, I noticed the next lane over, a young buck was pacing me. And he was, was standing just ahead of me. And I thought, I'm not going to let that young buck pass me. I'm not going to let that young buck beat me. And I poured it on. I poured, I gritted my teeth. I hunkered down. And I, I'm going to beat you. Even if it kills me, I'm going to beat you. And I can have that kind of personality to my misfortune. I took a shower, got into the locker room, and everything was just going like this. And I sat there on the, the uh, I don't want to get graphic, but I sat there on the bench, and a guy looked at me, and he says, you're not doing well, are you? I said, I don't feel good. And he said, let me get you some orange juice. I, all I remember was one sip of that orange juice. That's the last thing I remembered. When I woke up, oxygen was coming down on me. EMS was there. And they said, we're taking you out. I said, not without my pants. You'll find out how healthy I really am. And they let me put my pants on, and and, and they, they said, okay, we're taking you out in the gurney. I said, isn't there a back door to this place? No, we're taking you out the front door. No! And that's the last thing I remember, shouting, no, as they wheeled me through the front. Everybody stopped what they were doing. Look at the idiot that overworked himself over-exercised himself, all out of pride. Mistakes! I could fill up this whole hour talking about my mistakes. And so could you. If you've been reliving past mistakes in the name of Jesus, let go of it. Let go of it. Did you lose your job last year? Let go of it. You feel like a failure as you begin a brand new school year because you blew it grade-wise last year? Let go of it. Do you feel like like a complete failure because you you weren't the kind of parent or you weren't the kind of spouse you should have been? Let go of it. Do, Do everything you can with God's help to make it right, right now. But you can't go back in time. You can't relive yesterday. So stop reliving and rehearsing past failings and past mistakes. In your mind and in your spirit, stop allowing the devil to paralyze you with your past. You're not defined by your mistakes. You're defined by who you are and whose you are in Christ Jesus your Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Think of what else Paul was letting go of. Paul was letting go of what people did to him. The Bible says that Paul was slandered, Paul was betrayed, Paul was rejected, and Paul was tortured and victimized. Think of it. Yes, the world victimized and tortured and imprisoned Paul. But Christians slandered him. People he was supposed to trust and love betrayed and rejected him. Those are the other things that Paul is referring to when he says, forget those things which are behind. Are you forgetting the hurts of the past? Write it down. Let go of your resentment over past hurts. Your human brain is an amazing miracle of God. Science can't begin to duplicate your brain. Do you know that your brain has the ability to record 800 memories per second until you're at least 75 and then it just drops off completely. No! (laughs) The point is this. The brain retains everything on permanent file. Perhaps that's why you're saying this morning, I can never forget my hurts or those who hurt me. And the tragic thing is this bitter memories that go unhealed bitter wounds that go unrestored will impinge upon your relationships of today and ruin all of your tomorrows They'll quarantine you from real joy If you're dragging constantly if you're dragging skeletons out of the closet constant I'll never let you forget this. You're saying to yourself, it proves that they were never really buried. Yes, you and I can never forget, but we can forgive. We can forgive others. We can forgive ourselves. The person who hurt you, you need to forgive them. Not to condone an injustice. Not to condone how they used and abused you. Not to, 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 to condone those lacerating uh, words that they spoke to you. Forgiveness heals you. Forgiveness frees you. Forgiveness releases the toxic poison of bitter memories and bitter words and deeds done to you. Done to you. You, you can't forget but you can remember with release instead of resentment by letting go and letting Jesus forgive through you. I'd be a rich man if I had a dollar for every time person in counseling has told me, but pastor, I can't forgive. I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I can't forgive. Then let Jesus forgive through you. I know sometimes the hurt goes so deep that we, in our own strength, and our own ability, we just can't totally release and forgive and pardon, have mercy on that person or that situation. That's when you need to let the one who hung upon the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what you do to forgive through you. And watch the healing come. Sure, you'll always remember. The issue is this. Will you remember with release or will you remember with resentment? I choose release. How about you? When Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, what else was he letting go of? Before he was Paul the apostle, he was known as Saul the what? Persecutor. Paul the Apostle wrote most of your New Testament. He wrote more epistles, more books of your Bible than any other person. Yet before he was an apostle, he was a persecutor of Christians. Do you realize that Paul arrested Christians, entire Christian families? Do you realize that Paul imprisoned entire Christian families, men and women, boys and girls? Do you realize he tortured Christians and he killed Christians the Bible talks about it the Bible says it read the book no wonder Paul said forgetting forgetting those things which are behind can you imagine having that on your resume can you imagine having that on your bio your Facebook page I killed Christians that was Paul write it down Let go. One of the things to let go of, of your regret, your regret over past sins. You might not be a Paul, the persecutor, but some sin or sins from your past would like to haunt you and cripple your walk with God and rob you of the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. Maybe like Achan from the Bible, you stole something. Maybe like Ananias and Sapphira, you lied to people, and you lied to God. Maybe like David and Bathsheba, you had an extramarital affair. Maybe I'm talking to somebody this morning that like the apostle Peter, you said, I'll never let you down, Jesus. I'll never uh, desert you or betray you. And in the next moment, you deny your only Savior three times. I don't know the man. That's what Peter did. Peter could have ended up like Judas. Peter could have committed suicide. But Peter repented and he came home to Jesus. And you can too. You can too. Did you really mess up? Maybe this summer you fell into sin and you're still beating yourself up over it even after repenting. That's the power of communion. That's the power of remembering the shed blood of Jesus Christ. His broken body. His blood that was shed for you and I. It took more than the blood of a lamb, a bull, a goat. That blood was only symbolic. That blood was only temporary. It was only transient. But the blood shed from the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus. (laughs) It forgives us of our sins forevermore. Hallelujah. This blood will never lose its power. It continues to flow to the highest mountain and the lowest valley. I don't care what kind of sin that you name. His blood is able to cleanse you, to set you free. Walk in his grace. Forget about the past. Let go of it. I'm not making light. I'm not making light. I'm not making light of wrong choices. I'm not condoning sin, but I'm warning you that the enemy of your soul will paralyze you with your past. If you do not forgive yourself, if you do not forget what God has forgotten, stop looking at where you've been. Stop parking by yesterday's failures and start looking at where you can be in Christ Jesus. Now I searched and I searched and I searched for an illustration to bridge the gap between let go and hold on. You don't know how much time I took looking for an illustration that would visualize in your mind and spirit the powerful truth between let go and hold on. And I could only find one. It's one I've used many times, but it's still the most powerful one. Now let me ask you this. I I, I know you haven't taken, most of you, the vast majority of you, there's probably only a a couple I could name in this church that has ever taken homiletics, the science of of preaching. Let me ask you this. Uh, Is it possible to build a house without windows? Is it possible to build a house without windows? Yes. Yes. How many want to live in it? No. No. What's a sermon illustration? It's a window that sheds light on a truth. So get ready for an illustration, a story, that sheds light on God's powerful truth. Let go, hold on. What's pastor going to give a story on when it comes to let go? The mountain climber. Most of you have heard it before, finish it for me. My wife, who's been married to me now 35 years, we're we're, we're so much alike, we think so much alike, now she even finishes my jokes. She gives the punchline before I get there. Of course, that really makes me happy, but this morning, in this illustration, if you know the punchline, finish it with me, that tells me you have the truth behind it. Are you ready? This mountain climber was rock wall climbing. He was going up a sheer side of a mountain, the sheer side of a cliff. He was using rope and tackle and he was hammering those pins into that rock wall. He was depending upon those pins as anchors to hold all of his weight. As he's pulling himself up, he hadn't hadn't anchored one of those pins. They let go. He's falling hundreds of feet when all of a sudden he reaches out and he grabs a branch that was seemingly improbably, miraculously protruding from that rock wall. He's hanging there by one arm, uh, suspended between heaven and earth. And he begins screaming, help, help, somebody Throw me a line. Is anybody up there? I'm up here. Would you help me, please? Throw me a rope. Uh, who are you? I am God, the Lord thy God, and I will rescue you. Only let go and trust me. I will bear you up with my everlasting arms. Is it The truth is this, will you let go and let God have his way? Will you let go and totally trust God and hold on to his person, his promises, and his perspective of your life and your situation? Write it down, hold on to the person of God. When you make it your passion, to let go of the negative and hold on to God, no matter what. What do you discover? You discover that your God is not some faint, a feeble, senile, hard of hearing, old man sitting in heaven, sitting in a rocking chair, wringing his hands over the affairs of the world, saying, "Uh, can we make a deal? He doesn't say, let's make a deal. No, he says, this is the deal. I am the Lord thy God, and I change not. I am the same yesterday and uh, forever. Hallelujah. I am dear Jehovah. Jireh, your provider, Jehovah, Shammah, the Lord who is there. I am your Jehovah, Nisi, the Lord, your victory. I am Jehovah, Rophe. I am the Lord that healeth thee. We need to let go of what the enemy would like to use to hurt us. We need to hold on to the person and the very character of our God. Holding on to God is putting your faith in the one who spoke a word and everything came into existence. It's holding on to the one uh, who spoke a word and the blind could see and the lame could walk. Uh, the leper was cleansed who spoke spoke a word and demons screamed out in terror and fled the souls of those who they possessed. He spoke a word in the midst of the storm and the wind and the waves were stilled and made calm as he said, Peace, be still. Will you hold on to the person of God? But our Lord is not just the almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent one. He's also all-loving. I said, he's also all loving. When you cry out, Lord, I'm poor, he says, I'm your provider. Lord, I'm sick. (laughs) I'm wasted in my body and my strength. He says, I'm your healer. Lord, I'm hooked. I'm addicted. He says, I'm your deliverer, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who still breaks every chain. Lord, I don't know which way to go. I am your good shepherd. I am the Lord, your shepherd, and you shall not want. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm your Savior. That's our Jesus. Hold on to Him. Hold on to Him. He is an anchor in a time of storm. But not only hold on to the person of God, hold on to the promises of God. The promises of God. For over 30 years, I've been marrying and I've been bearing. Just last week, I I married a beautiful young couple up here on the platform. Jeremy Mills and Kara Philbush. It was, just seemed like yesterday, that same little girl that I was marrying, I held her in my arms down at this altar in baby dedication. That's what's neat about pastoring in the same place with tenure. And I had Jeremy and Kara at a point in the ceremony, I instructed them. In fact, uh, I was forceful in commanding them. Look at your rings, married couples, spouses. This morning, you that are wedded, and married, look at your rings right now. Did you look at your rings? What's unique about that piece of jewelry? It's the only piece of jewelry meant to cut off your circulation. I found. Look at that ring. I tell couples, look at your rings. And every time you look at them, I want you to remember these are rings of promise. You are promising. And every time you look at the ring, remember you've made a promise for richer or for poorer, sickness and in health, better or for worse. Let nothing, swerve you from your promise. Let nothing shake you from your promise. Hold on to your promise. Keep your vows. Can I hear an amen? amen? It's not my message this morning, but I'm going to preach in just one second what's not being preached behind our pulpits any longer. God says in the Bible, I hate divorce. As a pastor, I hate divorce. What it does, I can't tell you. The ripple effect is unbelievable. But I want you to know God loves the divorcee. He loves you. Forget what's behind. And grab, hold on to all that God has for you in the future. I I have ministered to so many innocent victims and guilty victims of divorce. God has a brand new start In the name of Jesus for you. I look at the ring. It reminds me of my promise. I look at this book. Every time I look at this book, this book is unlike any other book. It is the Bible. It is the immutable divinely inspired, the inerrant, uh, the indestructible, the infallible, holy word of God. (laughs) Study it, read it, be saturated by it, because it's filled with promises, promises. There are at least 3,000 promises of God for the born-again believer in this book one person has recorded 7000 promises of God for you and I of the redeemed. All I know, there's thousands and thousands of promises for you and I in the holy word of God. How many? How many are yours? All the promises of God, Paul says, are yes and amen in who? In Christ Jesus. There it is. All the promise. You can take all the promises to the bank. Promises. I pray the promises every morning in my prayer time. Learn to pray the promises. Learn to stand on the promises. Every morning I quote scripture. I quote uh, the promises of, uh, of God's holy scripture in prayer. When you quote the promises of God, when you confess the promises of God in prayer, there's a double anointing in your prayer time. I confess every single morning, if God before us, who can be against us? Uh, no weapon formed against me can prosper. Though the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against me. Him. Hallelujah. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves me. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Greater is He that's within me than he that's within the world. Every single one of those were promises from God's holy word. That's why you need to get involved in Wednesday night classes. That's why you need to devour this book. Uh, That's why you need to allow God's word to be your word and let it rule your life and saturate your life. Hold on to his promises. Like Henry Dempsey. Who's Henry Dempsey? I was telling our noon prayer crowd, if you'd like to have, instead of uh, coffee, if you'd like to have an hour of the word, and I keep it strict to an hour, from 12 to 1 on Tuesday, uh, I open the word, and we open up in praise and prayer. Uh, uh, It's just a powerful hour of power from 12 to 1 on Tuesdays. I'd love to have you join me. Uh, and It's just a time of, it's an intimate time of the pastors sharing our hearts with, with you right over here in our choir room. And I was sharing with our noon prayer time about Patrick uh, uh, Dempsey, or Henry Dempsey, Henry Dempsey. Henry Dempsey, commuter pilot, flying the commuter route from the state of Maine to New York City every single day. Low altitude, puddle jumper, but uh, rich businessmen and women. Imagine living in Maine, working in New York City, fly back in the evening. Routine, mundane, flying in every day, except on this day, on his dashboard cockpit, indicator light came on, warning. The entry door, the passenger entry door was ajar, not completely closed. He thought, I'll go back and and, and I'll tighten it and and, and I'll close it completely. When he went to the door, immediately it lunged out and the equalizing of air pressure just sucked him out like a vacuum. The co-pilot scrambled to regain control of the plane. The oxygen mask came down. The co-pilot radioed search and rescue to look for the body over the ocean, or by hoping for a sheer miracle that that 4,000-foot drop that he would survive it and they would rescue him. Search and rescue didn't find, didn't find Henry Dempsey. You can Google this. Search and rescue didn't find him. The runway crew did, clutching on to the ladder of the plane. In a semi-conscious state, this pilot had braved 200 mile an hour frigid winds and it held on and held on and held on. No matter what, he was going to hold on. And it saved his life. It took them 10 minutes for EMS to pry his fingers loose from the ladder as he was holding on. That's how I want you to hold on. Hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to your God who cannot and who will not fail. Hold on. Keep holding on in the storm, in the valley, in tough times, in good times. Hold on. Don't let go of God. He won't let go of you. Write it down if you would this morning. Hold on to it your new perspective in Christ Jesus. You know, how is it in the church? How is it in the church there's so many joyless Christians in the church? How is it in the church that there's so many Christians that are bad-mouthing their spouse, bad-mouthing their children, bad-mouthing their parents? There's so much poison coming out of their spirits, and yet they take communion? How is it In counseling, I boil it down. And I'm going to spend just a little counseling with you this morning. I boil it down in counseling to wrong focus, wrong perspective. You're looking in the wrong direction. Some of you, you spend most of your life looking sideways. What are you talking about, preacher? You're constantly comparing yourself with other people. Hear me, comparisons kill. Two truths, two truths about comparisons. If you're bound up with the habit, the addiction of comparing yourself with other people's popularity, their prestige, their position, their their, their pleasures, their power, their, their, their appearance, two truths. Number one, all that's glitter, all that glitters ain't gold. The grass ain't greener on the other side of the fence, believe me. Because I've counseled those people, you'd be shocked at how much they're maxed out in their credit cards to give that appearance. (laughs) And you wouldn't want that debt. I wouldn't. The second truth, the second truth about comparisons. Listen, there's always going to be somebody better than you. Come on, face it. The faster you face it is the faster you mature and grow up. I recognize, and I can only talk about one vocation pastoring. I recognize there's always going to be a better pastor than me. There's always going to be a better preacher, a better teacher than me. Don't say amen, please. (laughs) You'll hurt my itty bitty feelings. (laughs) I recognize that. But you know what I recognize? I'm going to bloom where I am planted for the glory of God. The book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. I am convinced, I am determined that as long as God has me to be your pastor here at Lakeside, I'm going to be the best pastor that Lakeside will ever have. (laughs) Amen. I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to compare myself with others. I don't want their problems anyway. I don't want their debt load anyway. That's right. Are you looking sideways? It's unholy. It's sinful. It'll drag you down. Or perhaps it's not sideways. You're looking backward. If you're looking backward in this Christian journey of following Jesus, listen, you're going to constantly be paralyzed by your past mistakes your failings your your hurts your sins the bible says in hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 i will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more hallelujah what does that mean that means if god if god has forgiven you you better forgive yourself too if god has forgotten you better forget too But some of you keep going back to where God has buried your sins. Some of you keep going back to the the ocean, the lake, where God has put your sins to be remembered no more. And I want to remind you, there is a sign posted there at that sea of forgetfulness. God's forgetfulness. There's a sign posted there. And that sign says, no fishing allowed. Stop dredging up old hurts. Stop dredging up old sins. If God has forgiven and forgotten, you need to as well. Let go and stop looking backwards. I had a dear soul that's no longer attending this church uh, about a year ago, kept calling me. Here at the church, kept calling me. At home, kept calling me on my cell phone. Pastor, Pastor. You've told me that I'm forgiven, but I just can't forgive myself. And I kept asking uh, the individual, is it under the blood? Yes. Then you're forgiven. They'd call me again. Does God's Word say in Hebrews eight twelve, I will remember their sins no more? Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you receive that? Yes. They'd call me again. Call me all times of the day. Call me all times at night. Finally, 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 I I got a little um, righteously frustrated. (laughs) Instead of righteous indignation, righteously ticked off. And I finally yelled at the person on the phone. And uh, they didn't leave the church because of this, by the way. Uh, They moved. Uh, I finally yelled at the person on the phone, and I said, Has God forgiven you? Yes. Yes. Are you greater than God? No. Well, you're setting yourself up to be greater than God because he has said, I will remember their sins no more, but you keep remembering them, and that's idolatry, and that's blasphemy, and if, and if rebellion is the sin is the witchcraft, I, that's satanic. In the name of Jesus, come out. <laughs> Get right with God. Never got a phone call after that again. I will remember their sins. No, more. stop looking backwards. I don't know a race that's ever been run where the runner has been looking backwards. I did that once. And I, I, at summer camp when they didn't allow us to wear shorts and I was wearing my bell bottoms and I tripped to my bell bottoms by looking backwards and lost the race. You can't look sideways. You can't look backwards. Uh, but maybe you're not looking in those directions. Maybe you're looking within. Within. Have you ever heard any of your kids in your house when they were growing up? Ever hear of any of them look in the mirror and say, I hate myself. You know, it's terrible what our culture does, especially to girls today, all the air-glossed images online and on magazine covers that are so unreal, so plastic. Is that you? You're not looking sideways. You're, you're, You're not looking behind. But when you look at yourself, you hate yourself. And all you do when you look at yourself, you measure your shortcomings, you focus on your deficits, you look at your inabilities, you look at your inadequacies, and you're gripped with terrible feelings of insecurity and low self-worth. If that's you, stop it in the name of Jesus. Your self-pity, your self-analysis, your self-consciousness and your self-criticism can all be equated to self-absorption. I know it sounds like a paradox. I know it sounds like an oxymoron. But your self-absorption, your self-pity equates to pride. You're so caught up in yourself, you have time and you have focus for nothing else. And Jesus says, stop. Stop it. God does not manufacture junk. He doesn't sponsor flops. He has made no plans for failure in your life. Move into God's perspective of who you are in Christ Jesus. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful life. Now start living like it. You're not what the world says you are. You're not what your past says you are. You're not what old Slewfoot the devil says you are. You're what God says you are. A born again, blood washed, Bible believing, demon fighting soldier of the cross. A child of God. A king's kid. Give him all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Move into God's perspective of who you are. But maybe you're not looking sideways or or backward or even inside. Maybe you're looking down all the time. You ever see people that are looking down? I mean, literally, physically, they're hanging their head down all the time. And it physically demonstrates the semblance of their attitude and their spirit. It's downcast. It's downcast. The enemy delights with depression, paralyzing us with hopelessness that nothing's ever going to change. He loves whispering into our ear, your marriage is dead. Your job, your business is dead. Your finances are dead. Stop praying for healing. There's no hope. God does not hear your prayers. It is his will for your life to suffer and to suffer constantly. It is dead. Give it up. Just as long as the devil can keep you downcast in depression. Just that long, he can win, win the victory, win the victory. Many of you know that I'm a scuba diver. A lot of you don't know that I'm not only an open water scuba diver. I'm a, I'm also registered and certified for cave diving. It's a whole nother sport. Uh, it, 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 it focuses on on the redundancy factor. You carry three of everything. I mean, you look like an astronaut going underwater. Uh, you know if. If I would take you to the Peacock Cavern in Central Florida, you go down an 80-foot shaft that's like a a tunnel, and it opens up into a cavern as you're a half a mile in, in this cave underwater. It opens up into a cavern that is 10 times the size of our gymnasium. I never thought that I, I, I would see anything that looked close to the bottomless pit like that. I mean, I was waiting for demons to come out of the side tunnels. It is so scary, but it's a cool feeling of flying, like flying through the sanctuary auditorium. I get into spots, into tight tunnels where it is so narrow you have to take off all your gear except for the regulator in your mouth, and you swiggle through the hole, and then you bring all your equipment back in and put it all back on again. I got into this one cave and didn't realize what kind of a cave it was. It was a siphon cave, the kind of caves they tell you don't dive in, but it was too late. A siphon cave, I think the best way to describe it without sounding crass, I don't mean to sound crass, but I, I, I was down about only about 65, 70 feet in this cave. I was uh, swimming at the top the roof uh, of the cave when all of a sudden the current, like the most powerful force imaginable, gripped my body. I am a strong swimmer, plus I have my extra, extra long diving fins, much longer than your normal fins. And I can swim out of anything and through anything. And I swam for all I was worth, and that was just sucking me in to the black, pitch-black midnight darkness of the back of that cave. It was all of a sudden I realized a siphon cave. The current was sucking me. I felt like a bug being flushed down a toilet. That's all I can tell you. And suddenly I reached out and I grabbed a tight. That was coming from the roof of the cave, and I held on, <laughs> and I held on, and I—I I breathed a prayer in my face mask, and I said, "I'm holding on, no matter what." And then it flashed through my mind: "Where's my dive buddy?" Oh my God, dear Jesus, he's been sucked into the innermost regions of the cave, and I looked down thirty feet, and he's just sitting down on the floor of the cave taking pictures. No current whatsoever. It was all at the roof. And I grabbed one handhold and one stalactite after another, and I held on and gritted my teeth, and suddenly there was no current. Out of the current, out of the force. Will you hold on? In your walk with God, there are going to be those times when you cannot see ahead. There is going to be those times of uncertainty. There will be those times of hopelessness. There will be those times where the enemy wants to paralyze you with the past. There will be those times he'll want to detour, distract, and delay you in this race called the race of faith. But hold on. In the name of Jesus, hold on. Mark it down. Hold on to the prize that God has for you in Christ Jesus. Because your call is not to, your call from God is not to look sideways, don't look backwards, don't look within, and don't look down. But God's call to you and I is to look up. <laughs> to look up uh, at our Jesus who is glorified, who's already won the race. Hallelujah. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and has now sat down at the right hand of the Father. He is the prize. Hear me, Christian, if you'll hold on to the promises of God, if you'll hold on to the Word of God, if you'll hold on to the person and the presence of God, hallelujah, there's going to come a day that you're going to be walking. Walking, uh, walking in your office, walking in your home, walking on the sidewalk at school, walking in the store. One foot will be on terra firma, the trumpet will sound, and the next foot will be walking on streets of gold. Hallelujah, the best, the best is yet to come. Hear me in this. You can part by yesterday's failures. I'm going to focus on what God has for me. In the tomorrow, (laughs) I'm going to focus on the prize. I'm going to focus on Jesus. You can live in the rearview mirror of life. I'm going to live forward. I'm going to move forward in Jesus. The best is yet to come. God hasn't called you to look sideways. He hasn't called you to look backwards. He hasn't called you to look down or within. He's called you to keep your eyes heavenward. Let me tell you what's happening with Syria right now. It's all lining up. Read. Read the book of Daniel. Syria has mentioned it. It's all prophetic. All the jigsaw pieces are coming together. The Armageddon alignment is alive and well. Not in a generation 500 years ago. Our generation. All the prophecies are coming true. Lift up your heads. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Move forward in what God has for you. Hallelujah. It's your choice, though. It's your choice, though. A farmer was out hunting with his gun, and he heard a cry, a shrieking bird like sound in the bushes there in the woods. He uncovered the leaves, and there he discovered a little eaglet that had fallen out of its nest not knowing where the nest was and knowing that the mother wouldn't accept it again it would only die he had an idea I wonder if I could raise it at home I wonder if I could raise it with the the chickens I know of a hen that would take it in as its own chick And so he did. and That little eaglet, it ate with the chickens. It slept with the chickens. It walked and squawked then, just like a chicken. Now, it looked like an eagle, but by all of its mannerisms, all by its posture, its feeding, uh, uh, all by its actions, it was a chicken. One day, one day that little eaglet heard a mighty cry from the heavens and there was a majestic golden eagle flying, wafting upon the drafts of wind, flying through the clouds, calling out to it, and the eaglet lifted its head. Day after day, the golden eagle came, and the eaglet would squawk and then cry with an eagle's cry in return. Day after day, the golden eagle came, and now the eaglet tested its wings and felt strength and power as it looked upwards. There came a final day when the golden eagle flew over that farmyard and that little eagle had took off with those wings and soared into the heavens with the golden eagle never to return to the barnyard again because it wasn't destined for the barnyard it wasn't destined for the chicken coop it was destined to ride the winds of the heavens oh honey sir ma'am you weren't destined to look backwards to look sideways within or down but to lift up your eyes from whence cometh your salvation to fix your eyes on jesus for the best is yet to come will you be all that god has called you to be will you let go and take hold of what god has destined for your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we're thankful that our Savior has called to us from the cross. We're thankful, Lord, that Jesus upon the cross cried out, It is finished. And we can know that we know that we know that sickness is finished. That poverty is finished. That addictions are finished. That depression, that cancer of the soul is finished. Sin, (laughs) death, hell, and the grave. They are finished. Because the blood will never lose its power. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I declare to you to stop living like a chicken. Start... Becoming all that God has called you to be, an eagle in Him. He's crying, He's calling out to you to soar the heavenlies with Him. And it's your Savior, Jesus, that has made it all possible. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning. In the reverence, the sacredness of the moment, there is no looking around it's just you and God and your pastor how many how many are here this morning and you would say pastor I'm not sure I'm right with God but I want to be sure I'm not sure I have a home in heaven but I want to be sure if that's you I'm gonna pray a prayer of salvation if you would like to be included in that prayer would you just lift up your hand right now would you just lift up your hand right now if you'd like to be included in your in that prayer this is a sign of your faith This is a sign of your passion. If you want to be included in that prayer of salvation and you're not sure you're right with God, lift it up so that I can see it. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. How many more this morning? I don't want to leave anyone out. How many more this morning? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. And more importantly, God sees that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Yes. Yes. How many more? I'm looking up in the balcony in the main floor. I will include you in this prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Keep that hand lifted up. Pray this prayer with me. Everyone, pray this prayer with me out loud, especially you that have lifted your hand. Make it your prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now, just as I am. I confess. I have sinned. I'm a sinner, but Jesus, you're my savior. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. Lord, I want that life. A changed life. A cleansed life. A new life in you. Jesus, be Jesus in me. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me, for giving me a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen.